Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while you're waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. This is a special series, a field guide for Christian leaders. We're reaching back over 1,500 years to bring you a leadership classic from St. Gregory the Great, a week-by-week look at timeless wisdom from the past. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Book 1, Chapter 10, Who Should Lead? I've asked a lot of people, how do you know if someone has the right stuff to be a leader? I've asked this question of a lot of people, students of leadership, hiring managers, executives, church elders, pastors, and it's rare that people will have an answer. Most often, it's business executives that have thought through the criteria, and they usually mention things like character, integrity, and respect for others. It's a difficult question, but in his wisdom, St. Gregory addresses it. His advice is seriously countercultural. And that brings us to Section 2. And now, the Lexeme of the Day. Ruler. Ruler is not a word we hear a lot these days, but St. Gregory used it a lot. And that set me wondering, where did that word go? I spent a chunk of my career teaching leadership theory, and I never encountered rulership along the way. In my experience, people get nervous about the word ruler because it carries with it implications of power, and power is bad, right? (sighs) I think we've lost something when we cashed in rulership for leadership. There's a lot written about the voluntary nature of leadership. That people can only be led if they want to be, and if they do not, well, that's not the leader's problem. A ruler, on the other hand, takes significant responsibility for the growth and well-being of the follower. He also has some accountability for it, and if someone does not want to be ruled, that is the leader's problem. If a ruler bears some responsibility for your well-being, it makes sense that you will want that person to demonstrate certain character traits. That's what Gregory addresses here. But I choose to use the term leader so you'll be able to hear what he has to say without tripping over all the baggage associated with ruling. So, let's move on to section 3 and see what Gregory has to say. The Field Guide for Christian Leaders What sort of person should be a ruler? The person who wants to lead ought to be an example of good living, who already lives spiritually, who has died to the passions of the flesh, who cares nothing for worldly prosperity, or fears nothing on earth. This person doesn't use their human weakness as an excuse for sin or a reason for not responding to the Spirit's call. They don't covet what others have, and, to the contrary, they give freely of their own. They are moved with compassion for others and offer forgiveness quickly, yet they never offer forgiveness to the extent that it enables others to continue in sin or wrongdoing. They avoid unlawful activity in terms of God's law and man's law, and they hate the unlawful acts of others as though they were their own. Out of their love for others, they sympathize with the weaknesses of others, but they celebrate their neighbor's good as though it was to their own advantage. 
They meddle in the lives of others to do them good and serve as an example, not an example full of pride, but the demonstration that they have nothing on their own. They're embarrassed by their past sin, and they water the dry hearts of others with the doctrines of grace and the love of Jesus Christ. They've been fed by constant prayers, and their words will sound like the voice of experience. While they are speaking, God will say, through them, I am here. If someone comes to us and asks us to go and plead their cause with some influential person that we do not know, but who holds something against the person, we would immediately decline. Why would we step in when we have no acquaintance with that influential person? In the same way, when someone asks us to pray for them, how could we pray for others if we have a broken relationship with God? If we've not sought God's favor for our own lives, how can we seek God's favor for another? If we're living contrary to God's will, how can we flippantly go to him with our requests and ignore our own standing with him? How can we plead for mercy for another when we've not dealt with our own guilt before God? We should consider this as well. If we were to go to an influential person that we did not know in order to plead for another, it makes sense that such an act would make that person even angrier and deal with the guilty party even more severely. If we are still bound to earthly desires and worldly ways, our love of influence and honor could result in the ruin of the ones we intercede for. Now, Section 4. And now, it's time to stand before the Mirror of Truth. There it is, Book 1, Chapter 10. So when you say to someone, you are in my thoughts and prayers, is it true? Do you really pray for them? I think many times our lack of prayer has more to do with our relationship with God than with our own drive, motivation, and perseverance. Once again, St. Gregory cuts to the heart of the matter, or rather, the matter of the heart. How is your relationship with God? Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. The paraphrase of St. Gregory's work, along with supporting content, was developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson. As always, our sound engineer is Brick Martin. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River, and the closing music is from Javier Cugat, Brazil. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Stay with us on this. We're eagerly awaiting your next visit to Great Ridge Station.